Hello, welcome to Where Change Begins, the UB Sustainability Podcast. My name is Amy Bentley, and I'm the Sustainable Policy and Strategy Student Assistant at UB Sustainability. Today, I'm here with Professor Adam Rome from University at Buffalo's Department of Environment and Sustainability. He typically teaches courses in environmental movements and business sustainability in society, but he's currently on sabbatical writing his next book. Professor Rome, thank you for joining me. My pleasure, Amy. Great to see you again. Thank you. Uh, can you start by telling us a little bit more about yourself? Um, I I grew up in Connecticut in a suburb, which turns out to be a little bit important to how my work ended up evolving. Um, and when I was young, I was really interested in science for a while. And then I was really interested in, in politics and activism. Um, but I ended up by the end of high school thinking I want, I was, history was my great interest. I want to be a professor. Um, but I ended up, uh, having a roundabout way of becoming a professor. That's also turns out to be really relevant to the kind of professor that I've turned out to be. Um, so I, I, I spent a year after college in England studying and for all kinds of reasons, I came home thinking I, I did not want to go directly to graduate school that I, I wanted more real world experience of different kinds. And uh, I ended up spending most of my twenties as a writer. Uh, and a, about half of that time was working for a newspaper in Wichita, Kansas. Um, and, uh, um, and I ended up working for several years on a book that I didn't end up finishing, <laughs> uh, but it was about a pioneer in sustainability and sustainable agriculture, but more generally in environmental studies. Uh, and and in the course of the couple of years that I was trying to write about him, I, I also met a, a lot of other people that were pioneers in sustainability at a time when that was really far out. That was a pretty wild thing to be thinking about. Uh, and that's all turned out to be hugely important to to what I do now. Um, and uh, uh, and so has being a writer um, that I, I wrote about all kinds of different things. And it, I think actually to be interested in sustainability, you have to be able to to uh, move from one thing to another and to make connections and to see the big picture. And writing helped me to do that. But then I went back to graduate school, became a professor as I had originally planned, but I was already 30-ish when I did that. <laughs> Can you tell me more about the book that you're working on now? It's it's a book about business and sustainability, especially since about 1990. And, um, and it's not something that I ever would have thought that I would do, actually. Um, you know, when I was younger, I thought business was boring, boring, boring. Uh, and they were often... The, the bad guys in, in a lot of the political things that I thought about. And that, that would remain true. Even after I became a historian, um, my main interest as a historian until recently was in, in the, the history of what we would now think of as environmental activism. Um, and, uh, uh, I wrote a book about how people came to see suburban sprawl as a problem and what they did about it. Uh, then I wrote a book about the first Earth Day, which was transformative history making in all kinds of ways. Um, and uh, but at the, the university that I was at before UB, University of Delaware, um, I uh, they have a 
affiliation with a world-renowned history of business and technology center and library. And so I was I able to help create a conference that brought people that study business and people that studied environmental history together. And I realized that was much more interesting than I thought. And and um and that and, and it really made me think that we can't have a sustainable society, a sustainable world if we don't have a sustainable economy. Um, and so that how how does the economy become sustainable? Well, obviously that involves thinking about the future and the present and the past of business and why they would deal with um or not with environmental problems. And then I guess the last piece of it, I I wrote a book, uh, an essay for a book that came out of that conference that's just called Green Capitalism? And um, in writing my introductory chapter as one of the editors of that book, I realized that 1990-ish was a big watershed that before then, um, business for a long time didn't care at all about environment. Then with the 1970s, all kinds of new regulations forced them to do things to clean up air pollution and water pollution. And they they grudgingly complied and hoped that that would disappear as a, you know, that people would forget about the environment after a while. That would be a fad. Uh, and then in the 1980s, President Ronald Reagan tried to undo all those environmental laws, but he failed. And so I think business by the end of the 80s concluded that, um, environmentalism was here to stay, concern about sustainability was here to stay. Um, and there were all kinds of other reasons why they ended up, and this is the word that they use, the phrase that they use, deciding that they needed to go beyond compliance, that they needed to do more than the law required. Um, and so my my book is really about what they've been willing to do voluntarily and why, and what they haven't done, what are the limits of that, and and what what does that tell us about the next steps in greening the economy? So, what lessons do you do you learn from looking at it that way? From from what makes businesses go beyond compliance? Um, yeah, I haven't really just thought enough yet about what I'm going to recommend at the end for next steps, but but um, but. The, the biggest lesson to start with, I mean, the people that write about business right now, they're either boosterish, that, that it's all about how great business is doing and, and how they're going to be the ones to solve these really difficult, challenging problems, that they'll do things that government can't do um, or that not-for-profits can't do. Um, and so... My book shows again and again and again that that's just dreaming, that business has done a lot and it's been really quite serious about what it's done mostly. I mean, obviously there's greenwashing, there's people saying they've done more than they have or just outright lying. But but my book focuses on, on businesses and sectors of the economy that have really been sincere and have been leaders in trying to do more. But in every case, there's still things they won't do. It just doesn't pay to do them. Um, and um, and one other part of my book, it going back to my interest in activism, is people outside business have been hugely important in, in pushing business, forcing business, encouraging, nudging business. 
um, to do better. But the same is true for them, that the strategies they've used, environmentalists have used in the last 30 plus years, um, have have been very successful in some ways, but they haven't succeeded in other ways. They have limits too. So, um, uh, so my other hope, I guess, from the book is that my real audience is environmentalists. And so a lot of environmentalists just don't want to think about business, um, or they want to just think that business sucks and, and it's all greenwashing. And so that, that too is false. Uh, business has really done some tremendous things in the last 30 years to reduce its environmental impact. I think it's still mostly been becoming less unsustainable rather than actually charting a new way of doing business that would be sustainable. But but I think you have to give them credit and you have to also understand from their point of view, what are the incentives and what are the disincentives if you want to be effective as an outsider, as an activist. Um, so I'm hoping that more people who care about the environment will will start to think creatively about what can be done to make business greener and they'll and they'll get some ideas from the book but it takes government i mean that's we can come back to that but but um voluntary action by business and voluntary action by the rest of us isn't going to do it um the rules have to change and they don't necessarily have to change in the ways that they changed back in the 1970s. I don't think that would work. But but um, there are a lot of things that business would will never do unless they have to. And they'll never have to do them unless the rest of us decide that it's important that they do them. <laughs> um, so it sounds like as environmentalists, we often talk about um, whether the solutions fall on the burden of businesses or individuals or the government. But it sounds like it's more of a combination of all three that need to be working together. And, absolutely. And one alone won't do it. Yes, absolutely. So what role do you think each of those, you already talked a little bit, but um, you mentioned coming back to the government. What role do you think the government needs to play in, in making businesses more sustainable? Well, for one thing, I think, and and we've started maybe to do this in the last couple of years, literally a couple of years. Um, I think we have to restore faith that government can be a problem solver, um, and that there are and we and that there are some problems that actually really can't be solved without leadership from government. You know, not only from government, but um, you know, if government does something that citizens don't really think is important, it, it'll die out. Um, and uh, um, and for many of the problems that we have to deal with now, go government can't help but also try to find ways to rely on expertise outside of government, including in business. So, so um, some of the things that that I think are most creative right now involve. Um, regulations that allow learning you know that force businesses to do something but you see how it works <laughs> and then and then you change what you expect um the goal may not change at all but the idea about how you best accomplish the goal might change so so um as i say i haven't really thought enough about that and and it's requiring me to read stuff by social scientists 
that I wouldn't otherwise have have known even existed. <laughs> um, so I'm only just beginning to to do that. But but I think it does also require citizens recognizing that that they have to act as citizens, not just as consumers, um, if they want to change business. So what can we do as individuals um, in order to push for sustainability? You know, actually really going back to 1990, um, you know, Ronald Reagan failed to undo the environmental laws of the 70s, but he won a, a more maybe a more important victory in that he convinced people that there really wouldn't be <laughs> any new major environmental legislation to deal with any of the issues that hadn't been dealt with in the 70s, including climate change. And so lots of people started to think about, okay, if government's not going to pass new laws, how else can we get change? And the Earth Day 1990, the 20th anniversary, was really the greatest celebration of what you can do by changing your consumption habits or your, your personal decisions. And at the end of the day, my view of that is that that's actually really only important as it if it empowers you to do other things. Um, but but even if millions of us, you know, stop using plastic straws, that's trivial, um, you know, or by organic, you know, this rather than non-organic that. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm not saying that those aren't important things to, to think about. They are. And there also are other life choices far more than just consumer choices that the environment might play into, like what kind of family you have, or if, if you even have a family or where you live, um, or, you know, how often you you're willing to travel. But, um, but I think all of those ultimately matter primarily in whether they make you feel powerful enough, you know, confident enough, um, uh, to do other things, either in your work or as a citizen. Um, and uh, uh, because individual action, the way we normally use that phrase, um, will will never be adequate. Um, so the question is, what can we do as individuals that helps create collective solutions? Uh, and, it, you know, there's a lot of different possible answers to that. And my, my environmental movements class is all about trying to get students to see different ways they could make a difference and then come up with their own theory of change. How does change happen? What kind of change um, it, it, can I make working or as a citizen or, you know, both um, that, that suits me, who I am, you know, what I like, um, what I care about? Uh, so, so that would be my answer is it's, it's important to do some things that we normally think of as individual, but primarily so that you feel that you can make a difference. I mean, if you can change your own life, then you can maybe change other people, but, it, but just changing what you buy isn't enough of a change. So the question is, can you, can you gain strength from that, that allows you to go out into the world in some fashion and make change in some other ways too, that will be more social, more collective, and ultimately more meaningful. That reminds me of Anand Schindler's Getting Green Done, which we read in, in your business sustainability and society class. 
he talks about getting businesses to pull the right lever in order to get sustainable action and figure out what their strengths are. And it sounds like what you're saying is like getting individuals to pull the right lever, figure yeah. out what their strengths are, and then think where they can make the biggest change. That's a wonderful, yeah, that's brilliant, Amy. I love that. Um, because that that's exactly what I what my whole environmental movements classes is, is trying to get people to think about what's the lever that I can pull, you know, that uh may not be unique to me, but that but that's especially suited <laughs> for me. And that I and that I and that I can really feel good about pulling. And it'll be different for different people in the class. But we'll all be able to make our, our own biggest impact in a different area. Yeah. Yeah. And that was partly a lesson that I drew out of Earth Day 1970 when I wrote the book about it. I, I didn't know that I was going to discover this, but um you know, the, the guy that had the idea was a senator. So his own personal hope was that legislation would result, and it did. But but he let anyone who wanted to organize Earth Day and they could do anything on it that they wanted. And it 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 made literally millions of people think about what they could do. And and for many, many, many thousands, it changed their life course. You know, they decided to devote some of their work life um, or to become um, you know, full-time activists, uh, but they, but they made, you know, became pioneers in all kinds of different environmental paths. Um, they were really entrepreneurial about it. They had to create the opportunities that they then took advantage of. Um, and, and, and so I, I think he, without really articulating it exactly this way, he understood that it would take a lot of different people doing a lot of different things. There was no magic bullet, no, no one big thing that if we just did that, then all our problems would go away. It was going to take lots of different people doing lots of different things. Um, but what was important was that they do it with passion and commitment and, and imagination. And, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people did it. It really did change their life. Well, I mentioned one of the books that we read in your class, Auden Schindler's Getting Green Done. Um, and I want to know if you have any other book recommendations for the average member of the UV community who's interested in getting uh, more involved with sustainability. Um, in my other class, the environmental movements class, I, I, and uh, I, I agree, Getting Green Done is a wonderful book. Um, and and Auden Schindler is a fascinating guy. I've, I've had him zoom in with my class and they love talking with him so that would be that would be a good one um um in my other class the, the book that i think startles students the most is a book by um a business school professor but it's not about business <laughs> it, it's it's called how culture shapes the climate change debate by andrew hoffman um and uh it's really about figuring out better ways of talking about issues, especially climate change, and of getting people who who might not think that they'd have much in common to to find common ground. And that's sometimes impossible, but it's his hope that it's possible more often than we appreciate in our bitterly partisanly divided times. Um, and that's a much shorter book. It's only like a hundred short pages, um, but it and uh, it 
it draws on a lot of psychology and social science about how people learn things and how they how their convictions shape what they are willing to learn or not learn and a lot of other things that 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 we don't often think about but are really critically important so that would be another one um i mean i could go on and on about that i actually earlier in my career when i was at the university of delaware i taught a whole course uh in the english department that was about people writing books about environmental issues and all the different you know there are issues that are really complicated and they're controversial and they often are depressing so how do you write about them in a way that gets people you know not just to read it but to pay money to read it <laughs> and and um you know there were many many books by journalists uh about environmental issues that i think are really terrific um and i'll end maybe with one more it's not strictly speaking about an environmental issue but the whole book will give people new ideas about how to think about place and um it's called inventing niagara by ginger strand and um obviously we're 10 minutes from niagara falls but niagara falls has been so important in in the history of our thinking about nature um and about um cities actually uh and then part of it's about buffalo too during World War II, Niagara Falls and Buffalo were instrumental in um, building the atomic bomb and a variety of other things that all have left legacies. Uh, and we had, you know, chemical industry, automotive industry. All of that was made possible partly by the electricity from Niagara Falls. So, um, but it's also got stuff about, you know, Marilyn Monroe and the movie <laughs> that takes place with her at Niagara Falls and um so it it's a wonderful book that that uh I think people won't be able to put down about a place that we all know about but probably haven't really thought about um and it has a lot of really interesting provocative ideas about um what kind of relationship we want to have with place and with nature even though that doesn't seem to be what it's about but well, I'm sure that we could talk about these things for hours, but I want to invite you to uh, leave some closing remarks if there's anything else that you, you want to say. Um, you know, it's been such, it's, uh, you know, I, I love talking with you about this because you're not only a former student, but you're kind of a role model. Um, you know, your, 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 your work is going to be in this area. You've been also volunteering. Uh, um you know, uh, I'm sure you're doing other things too. So uh, uh, that's been so, so exciting for me is having a chance in the new department, EVS, um, to work with a lot of students like you, uh, who, you know, who are really excited about all this and trying to figure out how to make a difference, find their lever. So that's been great. You flatter me. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining me today. And uh, this has been a great conversation. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. I hope that you all have a great day and remember that you are where change begins.